0: If you uh, have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't, on the table to your left are some Bibles that we would like to offer for you to take home with you um, as our gift to you. Uh, So we're in 1 Peter 4. um, And as I said during the call to worship time, this is about suffering, it's the whole of 1 Peter is about suffering. I'm reading from verse 12 of chapter 4 to the end of the chapter. Uh, follow along with me. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19 is the end of it, the beauty of it. Listen closely. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, Peter is redundant in talking about suffering and as we study his word, we do well to remember that he is redundant. He's not redundant because he can't think of anything else to say. He's redundant because it's really important for us to understand what it is that he has to say. So the whole scope of 1 Peter is suffering, a little bit about something else. Suffering, a little bit about something else. Suffering over and over and over and over and over again. And this is the word of God given to Peter to give to us. So if God is speaking this suffering over and over and over and over again, we do really well to understand suffering Uh and as I've studied this week, this, this thought, this notion kind of came over my head. I've, I've been for like four years just completely taken and captivated by this idea of steadfast love. God chooses steadfast to describe his love more than any, anything else in Scripture. All throughout the Psalms, almost every time you see love, steadfast is, comes with it. And God, I think, chooses this word to describe as love because it's never changing and it never needs to change to fully captivate our souls. And if God's great love for us is steadfast and doesn't need to change to fully captivate our souls and we still suffer, there's a, there's a thread of love in our suffering. Um. Also in my, my study this week, I, I came across the Greek word for suffering. Every time you see suffering, suffered, or suffer in Scripture, it's this Greek word, pasco. Um, and it's used 39 times in Scripture. Pasco, suffering, 39 times in Scripture. Ten of them, a quarter of them, appear in 1 Peter. First Peter is five chapters long. And a quarter of the verses talking about suffering, according to the uses of the word suffering appear in 1 Peter. Eleven of them are directly related to Jesus Christ himself on his way to the cross. So if Scripture, if if God is teaching us about suffering, it is here in 1 Peter that he nails it down. This is a book about suffering. And this is the one who Jesus said he was going to build his church upon. And the thing that, that overcomes his life and The the lasting influence throughout all of Christendom coming out of Peter's mouth is suffer and suffer well and suffer according to the will of God. It's vital for us to come to grips with that. Two quotes I want to put in front of us about suffering. Charles Spurgeon says this, They who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. They who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. It's really profound. Uh, you guys may have been aware of uh, Whitney, a young lady who, who goes to church here. She's uh, in a hospital room at St. John's with her dad uh, at this moment. Um, her dad, a couple weeks ago, had some uh, pneumonia, walking pneumonia stuff going on, and it began to get worse, and they gave him some medication. His body didn't like it. It wasn't the right medication. I don't know the ins and outs of the whole situation, but that medication they gave him for pneumonia made him worse, and he wound up, they had, did some tests, they wound up having to do some some heart surgery on him that they did, uh, help me out, was it Friday? Jen? Thursday. Uh, and he went into a rest on the table and flatlined on the table. They revived him, brought him back. Um, and they, did, they don't know the extent of, at that point, they put him into a, they let him sleep. They, they left him in a medical coma, and they don't know what, what's happening. They don't know if there is extensive brain damage. They don't know if there's no brain damage. They don't know if they will be able to wake him up. They're going to try at some point today to wake him up. He has been in the last... 24 hours ex- respond to some external stimuli and, and giving him some commands to move, and he moves that body part. And so it appears as though there, he will be able to, to come out of it, but the extent of the brain damage, we, we just don't, don't know at this point. But if Whitney were here today to proclaim the truth of suffering and the difficulty, the hardship that she's walked through in the last 48 hours, she would tell you that she knows and senses and experiences the steadfast love of God more today than she did when she woke up Thursday morning. And I'll give her a chance to, to explain some of that stuff to you. Get next to her, talk to her, let her describe those things to you. But the, the beauty is, is that affliction that she has seen from her dad, and this difficulty that he's, that he's going through has brought a depth of communion with a holy and perfect God who loves her steadfastly. John Piper says this I have never heard anyone say, The deepest and rarest and most satisfying joys in my life have come in times of extended ease and earthly comfort. Nobody says that because it's not true. The deepest and most satisfying and rarest joys in my life come when God shows himself to be strong in the midst of pain and darkness. I can mention that from my life. Um, One of the the cool things about being a dad that I get to experience is Mia. She's back there with uh, the kids. She's six. And I ask her two questions a lot. I say, why did God give you to me? And her response is, to make your heart happy. And it's completely true. God gave her to me to make my heart happy. And it's really sweet because you guys know Mia. She's got some massive bow in her hair. And, and she's got this little perfect, sweet, beautiful way of talking to say, she, to make your heart happy, Daddy. So then I ask her, why did God give me to you? And her response is to protect me. And I say that to her. I've been saying it to her since she was like three years old and teaching her those responses. And now they're just habit to speak, to, to protect me. And I've been saying that to her very intentionally because I, I, I need her to know that I love her desperately. And I'm never going to let her endure pain that's not going to help her. And I'm never going to allow her to endure pain that she can't handle. I'm going to do everything that I can to protect her. And I need her to know that. We go to Six Flags a lot. My parents get a Six Flags Passes every year for Christmas. And so we go a lot. And so she gets to ride roller coasters. And she always wants to ride with me. Because she knows nothing bad is going to happen when I'm next to her. Because she knows God gave me to her to protect her. And she knows it. She doesn't know it. She knows it. And I I, I want her to learn these things as a six-year-old because there's a time that's going to come when the present reality is not the scariness of the screaming eagle, but something... More difficult. Maybe it's a disease that's going to afflict me. She needs to know. Maybe it's a disease that's going to afflict Jen. Maybe it's a disease that's going to afflict one of her siblings. She needs to know that God has provided for her. You need to know that God has provided for you in all things, in every way. Absolutely important. And as she is a moldable, shapeable four, five, six-year-old, I want to pound into her. I love you. I love you. And my role in your life is to protect you. And I need her to know that. And as we think and talk about suffering, we need to know that God loves us and ultimately protects us ultimately protects us. But we are consumed with our realities, our very present reality. Mia at Six Flags is consumed with a very present reality that she's getting on this big 40-year-old wooden roller coaster called the Screaming Eagle that goes really fast, and it shakes when you're going up. Her present reality is, oh my gosh, I can't handle this but God has given her a gift of me next to her to help her through that present reality that everything is going to be okay. And it scares her and stresses her, but there's a comfort that comes to her to know that she can reach across that seat and grab a hold of me. And we are the exact same way. Present realities freak us out, worry us, get us all concerned, but God has given you gifts to sit next to you on the roller coaster of your life to hold on to, to give you protection, to understand that he is there. God is teaching us to trust him and run to him in those times of trouble. I want Mia to know, as she's riding up that roller coaster, she can reach over and grab hold of me. God wants you to know that in the hardness of life, you can reach over and grab a hold of his arm. He desires to protect you, to provide for you. In all of our realities, God is orchestrating every one of them to show himself that he's all we need. In all of our realities, God is orchestrating those realities to show you that he is all he needs. He is all we need. So let's get to our scripture this morning. And I think it's beautiful that Peter starts Verse 12, with beloved. I'm getting ready to talk about suffering, he says, but I need you to know that you are greatly loved by God. So breathe that in deep. As God talks to you about suffering, as Peter talks to you about suffering, as I talk to you about suffering, as you encounter and endure suffering, you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved steadfastly. Which means all that you'll ever need to be completely engaged by a holy God has provided for you in every moment. Steadfast love. Four points I want to make about these 12 through 19 verses. First, beloved, do not be surprised. When we suffer, don't be surprised. And I'm, I'm thinking about this this week. What does it mean to not be surprised? One of the, the most surprised I've ever been uh, was the, the week before I was getting married. I didn't realize I was going to a bachelor party when I was going to a bachelor party. I, was, I thought I was going to play golf with my brother and my dad. And I get there, and it's uh, a country club, and there's a friend of mine on the putting green. Like, what, what is Daryl doing here? That's weird. Maybe, we can, maybe he can, well, there's only three of us. Maybe he can join us and be our fourth. And then standing next to Daryl is Kevin. Standing next to Kevin is Chris. Standing next to Chris is another friend, Chris. What in the world? Is, and I, my mind is like, wow, these four guys are here today? Wow, that's weird. And no, it was like a full day of, like, bachelor's. So I was completely surprised. And the opposite of that would have been for me to go to the golf course expecting these four buddies of mine to come and spend the day. So if we are to not be surprised, we are to expect. Greatly loved people, expect that a fiery trial is coming because it's going to test you. Don't think something strange or weird is coming. Don't think something Weird or strange is happening to you. And, and here's, let me tell you about, I, I, I don't want to I hesitate to mention this little trial of suffering that I'm in the middle of after talking about Whitney and her dad and all that situation. Uh, but the tornado that hit my house and whatever, I'm, I'm in the middle of, of a really difficult time with that because the bank has decided... The way it worked, the insurance company sent me a check and to repair my house, and I had to sign it and then send it to the bank that holds my mortgage, and they've been holding that check. And banks don't really like to give the money away, and so they'd rather hang on to it and make money in the way that banks make money and lend that out to people, whatever, than to give it to me to pay my contractor. And so I've spent, like a week and a half ago, spent all this time screaming and yelling and throwing a fit at Bank of America about, whether or not to give me my money and there's this big fight and I want to talk to the supervisor and it's just, it's just a whole mess and fiasco. So it's completely overwhelming. And the, the product of this of them holding on to the money is that my contractor is like, if you don't pay me, I'm going to stop working. And so last week, nothing happened. Not a single person walked into my house to do anything. Uh, and that's really frustrating, because I just, more than anything, physically in this world, I want to live in my house again. And there was a completely wasted seven days. Nobody did a thing, because the bank didn't give them money, whatever. Uh, and so I'm overwhelmed by this notion. Every night as I fall asleep, as I go to bed, I'm overwhelmed by this idea that we wasted a week. I just want to live in my house. And... It stresses me, and as I'm working, as I'm preparing sermons, as I'm engaging relationships, this thing is on my head. We've wasted a week. We've wasted, a, i got to get this check to my, I, and it's, it's overwhelming to me. And at one point this week, I can't tell you the exact moment, God calmed my spirit. Relax. You're provided for. Relax. And it's a simple case of suffering. I have a great house to live in and a bed and a roof and the heater works and the air conditioner and all that. Everything is fine. It's just not home. And so I just need to relax and trust our God and live in the shalom, the peace that God intends for us to live in. Not in this running around and having every relationship, every situation, everything consumed by this lack of peace that I I, I feel. Second thing to think through appears in verses 13 through 14. It's rejoice because you share in Christ's sufferings. Let me read those two verses again. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the Spirit of God, Spirit of glory, and God rests upon you. Um, two things. First, it says when his, rejoice because his glory is going to be revealed, and rejoice because when you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. That's in verses 13 to 14. We have two options when we come to suffering, when we encounter suffering, is one, we can major on the suffering, or two, we can major on what's going to happen because of the suffering. Uh, and these verses lead us to majoring on the second part. Um, in less than two weeks, I'm going to load my kids up into my van and... My wife and I will drive to Fairview Heights, Illinois, and we'll open a door. And when we open the door, this intense, most beautiful, perfect collection of smells that come together to make the most perfect smell ever smelled by a human being is going to attack my nasal passage. I'm going to smell the turkey and the mashed potatoes and the rolls and the pumpkin pie and then all the other stuff that everybody else will eat. <laughs> and those things will will gather together and come into my consciousness and, and I will this is exactly what will happen. It's happened for like the last five years. I, I open the door and I stand in the doorway. And everybody else is like behind me, right? And my my kids know their cousins are in there, and they just want to knock me out. They don't care about the smell. They they care about their cousins. to go and play and football in the backyard or football in the in the basement or whatever they're going to run and go do. But I'm sitting there, breathing that in, and as I breathe that in, m- memories of an eight year old boy, memories of a. 12-year-old boy, memories of, of last year, memories of all of this flood in my mind. And, and it's it's weird that, are you with me? When you, when you take a smell of something, you're probably smelling that right now, right? Memories can trigger smells in our brains, and we can smell something that, like, we, I can smell the turkey right now. And there's no turkey around me, I don't think. But we can still smell it. And then those smells can actually trigger I don't know what it is. Some, something in our brain that makes us actually taste when we smell something, right? Are you with me? Is that, am I only the, the only one that does that? When you smell something, you can kind of taste it, right? And the, the beauty is that smell that I'm remembering right now is a shadow of the smell that I'll feel on that Thursday in a week and a half. And that smell that I'll smell is only a shadow of the actual taste when those things are actually in my mouth and I'm consuming them. And what I want to bring in front of us is that the sweetness of a perfect, peaceful shalom that we experience here, this communion with a perfect and holy God, that we can reflect upon here and now. Remember a time when God was perfect to us or we felt this tremendous sense of satisfying peace. We can remember that here in this moment. And there's gonna come in times where we will encounter that peaceful, perfect shalom communion with God. But those things are shadows of the perfect communing, peaceful shalom that we will experience at one point. I want to take you back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is, if you want something, to a, a chunk of scripture to memorize, memorize this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. All leading up to what he's about to say. He's born again. He's caused us to be born again into a living hope. That is your current position. A living, breathing, changing, strengthening, growing hope. Living, that's growing, strengthening peace. Hope, confident expectation. Jesus Christ in our lives has brought about this strengthening and growing confident expectation. As I sit here, there's a living with every day that comes off the calendar. Thursday is closer. Thanksgiving Day is closer. And that confident expectation of the smells I will encounter is closer. It's growing and strengthening. The confident expectation in us is growing and strengthening through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And this is verse four is is it. This is the taste of the turkey in our mouths. Verse four into an inheritance that it's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you know you guys have any clue what imperishable means? It can't die. It can't be taken away. Undefiled. It's perfectly pure. Perfectly pure. And unfading. If we could get our stupid minds off of this stupid earth in this stupid moment and know that it's coming and it's perfect. Perfect. In every way. How much time would we spend thinking about suffering? Who cares? Who cares? If I drive out to my parents' house on Thursday and I have a flat tire, I get out of the car, I'm all ticked off, I get greasy and I change it, but I still get that moment when I open that door. And then, verse 5, brings the beauty. We, who, it says who, that's a, a pronoun for us. We, by God's power, are being guarded. Whose power? God's. We're being guarded by God's power through faith. Completely surrender to who you are. That's faith. For a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Rejoice because you share in Christ's sufferings because at the end of Christ's sufferings, at the end of your suffering, is this perfect, undefiled, unfading, unchanging inheritance that is yours. That's waiting for you. Seriously. The third thing. Kind of transitions here a little bit. Suffering for good versus suffering for evil. There's a difference. One takes you to this God stuff that we've been talking about and one doesn't. Verse 15 through 17 tells us not to suffer for being a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. Sometimes when we encounter suffering, it's because we have walked that path. We have walked the path of evil and God brings suffering into our lives for that purpose. The same reason when you put your hand on a something hot, it burns it. it. We don't do the stuff that God has called us not to do because suffering comes of it. Then, verse 16. Let's let me I'm gonna read verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. A command for us, very specific, as we suffer. While doing good, suffering comes, and when we suffer well, it brings glory to God. Uh, most of you know the story of of Mandy Moss, who had the heart transplant a couple a year and a half ago. New name now. You guys are just speak it, Megan, Megan, Megan Mandy. Yeah, sorry, I've always confused Megan and Mandy. Uh, so Megan had the heart transplant, and the and the issue uh, that with. She got a disease as a, as a high school student and it began to attack her heart in such a way that her heart just began to shut down and get weak and small and it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do and she had to have a heart transplant. And it was like all over the news and everywhere. And the insurance office that I work in, there were seven or eight people who were following, like reading in the newspaper and, and watching on the news and, and following the, the blog that she was writing and, and they were nearly every day, three or four times a week, one or two or three of these seven or eight people would come into my office and say, "What's going on with Megan?" They knew that that I knew her through some people who went to our church and all that. And uh, what, how's it going? They they wanted the the scoop. And every time I would I would share with them, and every time they would say, "Man, it's really amazing to watch her and her family go through this really really hard time and still stay true to their faith." And of these seven or eight people, I think only two or three of them have a relationship with Christ. And several of those conversations would wind up me getting to, to share my faith in an, an insurance office in downtown St. Louis. And here's why the Moss family is able to suffer well. And fast forward of. A, a, few months later, Joplin happens. The tornadoes happen in Joplin. And we, I sent out an email f- around the, the office saying, our church is going to send some money and send some people and send some supplies to Joplin. Uh, if you guys don't have a place to give to that and want to give to that, you can bring the money down to my office and we'll make sure that money gets, gets taken where, where it goes. Every one of those people who had, I'd sat in my office talking about M- Megan... Every one of them came and gave 20 bucks, 100 bucks, and every one of them said, I've seen the way that your church handles suffering. I've seen the way that God responds in this and he's done this in my life. These are people who don't know Jesus. And I want to I be a part of that. So because... Megan and the Moss family suffered well. These people connected with a holy God. And they gave to a church who was trying to do the work of God. If if Megan's story doesn't happen, these people aren't paying attention to God. If Megan's story doesn't happen, these people aren't giving away money to a church that if, if we were to sit down with them, I'll, if you were to find them in a restaurant and sit down and talk with them about God, probably most of what they would say is, eh, not really, There's, it's just, no, I'm not. But here, they're because of the way a follower of Christ and her family f- followed God, they brought attention to God, and so that God stirred something up in them that I want to give away To this gift, to this situation. And the the beautiful part about that is people are paying attention to the way you suffer, to the way you respond to stuff in this world, to, to whether or not you believe, really believe this stuff about God, that He really is in control and He really does love you, and you really do praise Him even when difficult things happen. Here's the truth. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. Glorify God is something all throughout Scripture. Simply what it means is to draw attention to God, to make God attractive. And that's exactly what was going on in the life of the Moss family. And the proof is in those people who stopped in my office, and the proof is in those people who used to stop in my office, and now came and gave money for us to send to Joplin. Glory to God. Attention to God. To God. There is uh, a guy that I got to listen to in the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta a couple of, or maybe a a month or so ago now, named John Tyson. He pastored a small church in New York, and he is an author and a thinker and sort of a Christian, just not really a philosopher, but he thinks deeply about church and the culture and how the two interact and he kind of is a mouthpiece for pastors and and is a a visionary for pastors. And somebody in the Q&A session asked him, what what are some of the the pressing things that the church is going to have to address for the culture? You understand the, the, the heart of the question? What are the questions that the culture is asking about God that the church can answer? And he said two things. First is the issue of homosexuality. We're going to have to to be able to, to speak that to the culture of how God, why God, in terms of homosexuality. It's not for this morning for us to talk about. The second thing he said was suffering, pain, evil in the world. How can the church answer the culture's questions about suffering? So this guy who's God is gifted in a beautiful way to speak into the church, to shape the church, says this about what we need to be able to answer to the culture about pain and suffering. It's a really, really big deal. The way to answer it is to suffer well. When evil, when difficulty, when hardship comes upon us, people are paying attention. People are paying attention. People at your work that you have no idea are paying attention are paying attention. bet if you were to look back at difficulty and hardship and suffering in your life, you could think of people who probably are not believers. They really wanted to get in and understand what it is that you're walking through and how you're going to respond to it. Probably very skeptically, but it's the truth. So this is massively important to us and how we respond to God, but it's massively important for us as we live out our mission on this planet. <clears throat> People are paying attention to you as you suffer. The last thing, and we're going to be quick with this last thing, but I think it's probably the most vital thing that will come out of my mouth this morning. Verse 19. Let's read it together. Therefore, let those of you, let, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Real simple, trust God. When you suffer, trust God. In your present situation of suffering, trust God. And I go back to Me asking Mia, why did God give me to you to protect me? I want her to trust that. I want you to trust God. I want you to trust God. look around and I, I see eyes and I see faces and I, I look and I, I know what's in your life. I know what's in your past. I know those things. I'm, I'm looking in my mind. I'm, I'm talking to you, but in my mind, I'm looking at Joe and I'm looking at, at what was in his past and, and Megan and Travis and Amanda. Uh, I'm, 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 I see it. I know it. God, trust him. Cut, I, I think, look in your bulletin. I think this verse is in your bulletin. That's what I intended to do. Verse 19, cut it out. Tape it someplace. Don't throw that in the trash can. I, you're going to offend me if I pick one of those up off the ground today. I pick four or five of them up every week. You're gonna, I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to detectively find out whose that was. cut it out, tape it someplace conspicuous. Because the world is paying attention to the way we suffer and God wants to reveal himself and reveal his glory and show you the majesty of what it means to be loved by him. God wants to show that to you. And the way he does that sometimes is making you suffer. And what he says in the midst of that is Trust me. And I I don't I don't want us to miss the beauty of these words. Entrust, entrust your soul, the depth of who you are. One day your body will pass away. It will become dust and dirt. And be gone. But your soul will remain. This is what God is asking you to trust him with. And then the last word that I want to speak to us today is to think about and trust your soul to a faithful creator. Faithful. I will fail you. The people to your left and your right will fail you. When you suffer, you're probably, there's probably somebody in this room who's going to encounter suffering in the course of their life that I'm not going to respond well as a pastor to. I won't pastor you well through your suffering. I'm going to fail you. I am sometimes faithful, but not always faithful. We serve a God who is always faithful. Trust your soul to a faithful creator. There is nothing better that you could walk out that door ringing in your head than that simple phrase trust your soul to a faithful creator. So let's just end there. God, we thank you for all of these things that you've walked us through this morning, God. But God, I thank you that you are a faithful creator and you have orchestrated orchestrated events to make us aware of that, Father. You have sent your son to die on a cross. You have persevered this scripture thousands of years. Had it translated into words we could understand. And brought it to our attention this morning. In so many ways, you are a faithful creator. Help us to know that. Help us to own that. In Christ's perfect name, amen.